Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Today we are joined by Daria Paramonova, who will explore her own work alongside some of the challenging architecture and urban project plans for Moscow today through reviewing the last 26 years. Uh, a city, uh, Moscow is a city that is not only investing right now in new architecture, but rebuilding streets and public spaces, transforming the urban environment with new parameters of comfort and an unprecedented emphasis uh, on pedestrian safety, ecology, and technology. Daria Paramonova is an architect training architecture at the Moscow Architectural Institute and at the Strelka Institute for Media, Architecture and Design, where she is now a teacher and researcher, as well as CEO of Strelka Architects. She is also partner for over 10 years of Bureau Alexander Brodsky, and in 2014 she co-curated Fair Enough uh, in the Russian Pavilion at Venice Architecture Biennale, together with Anton Kalgaev and Brenda Majetrik. Uh, with which they were awarded with a special mention uh, on that uh, edition of the Venice Biennale. In 2015, she also published the book Mad Room, Mutants and Other Oddities, Modern Architecture of Luskov Era. The evening will start today with 45 minutes of lecture from Daria, uh, reflecting on, on, on this like, very like, intense career, both as, uh, as a teacher and as an architect, as a practicing architect. And after that, there will be some time for questions from the audience, followed by some drinks in the annex area. Uh, and now, please give a warm welcome to our speaker, Dasha. First of all, I want to start the introduction of institution which I'm part now, and uh, which appeared in Moscow in 2010, almost in the middle of the period I'm going to talk about. It's a private institution that main focus is architecture and urbanism. And I, was, I graduated it in 2010 when it appeared. And after I graduated, I was invited to teach there. And nowadays, after Strelka established an architectural bureau, I'm um, leading this architectural office. So somehow Strelka will be important umbrella for the stories that I'm going to present here. And this is me in 2010 being a student. Um, <laughs> quite curious about what's actually happening with Moscow architecture. And uh, my lecture will consist of two parts. One part is uh, whenever, which I present is partly was reflected in a text or book that I made uh, about architecture that appeared right after, uh, right after collapse of USSR, uh, after 1991, until 2010, when I, as an architect, started to question myself what actually, what sort of results we have. And, um, and this is, I'm somehow distant observer of this architecture. The part that will be the second one from 2010 till 2016 is a part when I'm taking very active role as an architect and then kind of practicing and also producing certain projects. So it's somehow quite idiosyncratic speech because I will be shifting from being critical to the environment that uh, a period when I was, was well, I would say, passive or wasn't an architect, and then I will present a part of the project. So somehow it's a little bit controversial to play these both roles in, in, one, in one time, but I hope I will manage. So let's look closer in the content that I'm going to present um, after collapse of USSI, and I think it's very important that this lecture is connected uh, with the event that today is uh, Royal Academy is hosting, that's celebrating or 
marking the uh, uh, revolution that happened 100 years ago. Some, the, the period I'm talking about, of course, is another revolution and as important as the one that happened in 1917. Yet when I started to research of the architecture of this period, for me it was absolutely necessary to advocate this architecture because as the events that was following the collapse of USSR and development, or not only of architecture, but the whole state was really in 2010, it was already a certain disappointment at what happened. And it was really important for me to advocate as reforms, as an uh, event that happened, and architecture itself. So uh, if we look closely at this period, we can call this as a transitional era when uh, new values just uh, simply overlapped on the Soviet reality. Of course, it happened in one moment when USSR collapsed. But new values, they, when they were introduced, were perceived um, very intuitively, and people actually didn't know how to behave in this new reality. So somehow this architecture that appeared in this time is also was extremely intuitional, and that I believe one of the most important parts of it. Uh, the person is very well known in this time, and you should maybe, you haven't heard about him, but who influenced architecture in Moscow laws, of course, was the mayor uh, Yuri Lushkov. And he itself was a transitional character, like started his career in the Soviet time. Of course, he adopted these new values and tried to introduce in a city space as he personally perceived it. Because he was really involved into what was happening in Moscow, this reflected literally in the appearance of the city. And that's why important, and that's why actually I'm calling the whole period Lushkov era because his own, his personal moment is the activities and architecture and development of the city was extremely personal and uh, very influential. So as I started to say, uh, after the collapse of USSR, the new values produced by the market economy and the market economy itself started to be overlapped on the society and started to be introduced such values as profit, as democracy, as uh, new rights. And this provoked the appearance of one of the first uh, big movement in architecture, is production of unique architecture. Architects, for the first time, start to be allowed to reflect, to manifest their personal vision, not the vision of the state, not the vision of the uh, uh, design institution, but their personal own vision. And of course, it reflected not only what they wanted, but what, cl uh, what client wanted. So somehow we see introduction of personal taste in the city space. And it's a big group of buildings that appeared in this time in the city, which somehow we can shift in a, a different, we can split in different styles, but it's not what's important. Important that each who was involved in this process tried to manifest their own vision and their personal, personal uh, understanding of what architecture is. Um, as uh, private, uh, private in as individuals become clients, mayor itself became, uh, became a client for the architecture, and he produced or he was uh, responsible uh, for appearance of new style in, in Moscow because he was uh, kind of uh, uh, reflecting his own vision of what building, how they should look like, and how uh, what is a uh, new Moscow. So he was really producing this architecture, and uh, we can call this as, uh, well, uh, it's quite 
quite often that this is called Moscow style because he has his own anticipation what Moscow architecture is. And what was important, of course, about uh, his own perceptions, he always wanted to install uh, some modern function within the building. So, for example, it was not only Mm, dwelling. It should be a shopping mall, it should be underground parking, it should be offices. So combination of his understanding how Moscow architecture should, like, should look like and a certain function appeared in a big group of buildings that he personally uh, was responsible for. Mm, another big and important uh, group of buildings that appeared in this time is, uh, of course, the residential one. And uh, uh, after the collapse of USSR, the fabrics that were producing prefabricated buildings still were operating. And since the real estate market was introduced as a uh, certain source of profit, of profit uh, so the square meters became as a currency. And uh, uh, these machines that were producing square meters of new apartments uh, was working almost without stop. The only uh, properties that appeared in this period, actually, and the introduction of private pro pro property was an apartment. There is no uh, other private pro property in Moscow still until these days because you can uh, have a land only for a long-term lease, but the only sort of property you might have is your own apartment. So uh, this became a money and this has become a currency on the, on the market. And this, if we talk about how architecture reflected on this, of course it was the time when the biggest district was produced and when the building itself started to try to uh, adopt its appearance for um, the need of market economy. So, for example, as we see on these images, building become higher because it was literally more profit you can get of the selling of apartment as it tried to be more diverse. And the biggest and the most radical uh, sort of district appeared exactly in this time. What is important to say about um, this architecture is that instead of socialistic uh, prefabricated district, the land between the building remained intact because being not a part of the private property, developers did not consider the, this as a part of the value. So the territory that remained between the building was almost intact and uh, remained itself uh, without any infrastructure, and the most radical district actually appeared exactly in the moment when so, uh, the USSR collapsed. While if we compare with the socialistic dwelling that appeared in earlier time, it's almost a desert filled with cars and uh, no any infrastructure. As apartment become a piece of uh, private property, of course, the whole development of personal interior design uh, reach a certain uh, level. And uh, if we compare the, this development with other countries, uh, the introduction of designer who actually responsible to refurbish your own uh, house became extremely popular. Almost each second person would love to hire a designer to somehow help uh, introduce and um, reflect its own preferences in the only type of space people were owning, their own apartment. Uh, 
Uh, another very big movement that appeared in this period of time and was uh, literally related with a certain trauma that Soviet people went through, of course, in an attempt to uh, of, uh, redemption of the scene happened and a relationship happened with religion. And it literally were realized in the resurrection of the churches that were demolished in the uh, time of Soviets. Uh, and this is one of the first examples when the church was uh, piece by piece uh, rebuilt in a, as it was before demolition. But the introduction of idea of market economy and somehow idea of that modern building should obtain new function transformed this kind of pure and beautiful idea in a, another type of architecture, which is uh, easily could be presented in reconstruction of one of the biggest church, uh, uh, Christ the Savior Cathedral. In the exhibition that is today in the Royal Academy of Arts, there is a movie and part of the movie showing how in 1937 the Christ Cathedral was demolished. The new introduced building had a new function which is, uh, were placed in a steel part of the building where they placed a parking, a restaurant and gallery. So somehow they updated the, the old building with a new function to give it a new, new value and to give a kind of the new uh, uh, right for the second life. And this manipulation with the history uh, is very important to take into account when we talk about uh, general attitude with the Soviet time and uh, time before the Soviet. Because an idea that you can a little bit improve the past, the idea that you can change the what uh, when you rebuild uh, the history, you somehow improve it. And uh, later on, this idea of improving past and improving uh, heritage appeared in a very big movement when uh, a lot of heritage was demolished and the purpose to be rebuilt with a new function and again advocate its appearance in a new format to fit the new reality and new values. Uh, while architecture was developing in this kind of specific way, so it was appearance of unique architecture, it was a, a big development of prefabricated structures or uh, this manipulation with the past, the territory wasn't that clearly introduced as a big value. And we would say that it was remained intact and was developing according to some wild forces that were shaping this environment. So there are three elements that I'm introducing on the slide that help people somehow to regulate themselves, the relationship with the city and the environment between the building. It's a fence, it's a commercial structure, which usually was a shopping or um, some shopping center, and a vehicle. Because vehicle or a car, it actually became maybe the second uh, private properties that people obtained after the collapse of USSR, after, uh, after apartment. In uh, its uh, its important its, its its importance and the kind of the ownership that they received was as important as their own uh, their own apartment. So this is uh, a case uh, how one of the law influenced the space of the city drastically. It's a free trade decree which was introduced in 1992 and actually gave the right to the people uh, in the market economy to, to the main right, to, to run their own business. And literally it was allowed to uh, do some activity in the city space so people started to sell certain goods all over the city. Uh, through the time, this uh, law was several times um, regulated and uh, updated and uh, this wild activity of course went in a more 
uh, more, sp more kind of uh, specific way. But uh, I, when I was uh, looking at this, um, this particular phenomena, I tried to make the specification uh, or, or classification of these elements that uh, were introduced for commercial activities. And you can see that there are uh, different scales and different ways how the commercial activity were reflected in the space through the structure. So it's, we can talk about some advertisement, we can talk about little kiosk, and it actually was the easiest way how Mm, you were able to run your own business in the space, or we can talk even about big shopping malls which occupied the terrain in purpose to get profit out of the piece of land. And uh, I, I, I tried to look at this structures as a, a element that following its own rules and its own way of distribution and I found them part of, very attractive in a way that the research of the structures um, allowed to uh, extract uh, the, the forces and uh, uh, certain uh, laws that are not really introduced usually in architecture. The way they were distributed in the space, the way they are trying to, uh, the way they were sh sh uh, shaping the city and uh, shaping its appearance, of course, was absolutely not following any architectural rules that we come on with. Um, this is how the city looks in 2010, more or less. So this is an entrance to the metro, the empty void that remains from the Soviet past, and this void which were initially done for the manifestation of the empire were occupied with different type of commercial structures, was like the easiest way for people to get business. And uh, this is how uh, city space was developed, and let's, we can say it's by its own way. And of course, this... Uh, Development was not, could not be continued to, uh, as it was, so the different regulations start to control it. And in 2016, in the recent past, this was the most radical series of demolitions when those kiosks, those structures that uh, destroyed, as architects perceived, the beautiful city were demolished. And this raised a long discussion about uh, was it actually the right way to deal with this because in the end this was a, a pieces of private property so were just taken out from the city to make city more beautiful. Um, as I was introducing the structures which somehow uh, help people to establish relationship with the city space, I as named already commercial structure, this was quite typical uh, way of also occupying or establishing relationship with the city space is a, a fence. And this is what you see is just a playground, uh, but this is, was quite typical language that people try to uh, uh, establish and to introduce to somehow define the borders and limits in a space which didn't have these limits and didn't have any regulation. And uh, as fence was a certain tool to do so, a vehicle and uh, let's say the car occupying uh, taking some uh, place in a city and, and the garage for the car also was a tool to, uh, to obtain some property and obtain some part of the territory. Um, and this is more or less how in 2010 city looked like when cars actually were spread all over, and being one of the value, one of the most important value, it was no uh, any critic on this distribution because everybody, of course, perceived this is a normal development of the city environment. And this is how city looked like. 
so in 2010, we might say that the city collapsed out of the traffic, out of this wild development, and this was the moment when um, Yuri Lushkov, the mayor, was not only dismissed, but it was obviously and clear that his time just over and the development needs some other forces and some new ideas. And this is exactly the moment when Strelka Institute was introduced. And as you see this, uh, if you look at this image, um, the space is rather different from the space that I was showing a little bit earlier. So the, even the introduction of the school itself um, was um, a, new, uh, a new air that appeared in the city. And the second part I want to talk about is actually how the Moscow development today, being not just an observer, but being an architect and practicing architect. So the school was introduced by well-known um, architect Ram Kolhas, who, had, uh, together with his office OMA, developed the educational program. And the first topic that we were researching within the school was the public space. So it was the first time the term public space was introduced in Moscow or in Russia. And uh, uh, the first case came quite soon. So the image is actually a studio of uh, Strelka when um, the man in a, in a suit is uh, Sergei Kapkov, the new director of Gorky Park, one of the biggest park in Moscow, who came to the school to discuss and develop the strategy for development of, uh, of the first park. Um, and it's the first time when the practice of uh, public discussion and discussion with experts was also introduced in the a, in a architectural field. And this is how the park looked like. So actually it was the, the way it, the Gorky Park was, it's important to say, was established in 1928. Uh, and it was the park for entertainment and um, the rest of the uh, public. And uh, in 1919, uh, it was filled with the, it was actually an amusement park. So it was not clear what would you do in a park if it's, there is no entertainment there. And uh, the strategy for public space produced somehow new ideas that an upgrade of environment itself could bring, uh, could give you uh, an activity that you could have in a park. And it introduced the whole idea that the new quality of the space could uh, provoke uh, not only the development of environment, but development of society and development of people itself. So this was a quite successful case, and this is, was the, this is how the first public space looked like in Moscow. Uh, and it uh, really was even overcrowded to that level that it was almost impossible to stay there. And I want to bring you to this event, which is uh, 1991. Actually, today we're almost celebrating its uh, anniversary because it happened on 10 of March on, uh, 26 year, years ago. And it's a gathering uh, um, uh, to manifest the, 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 the collapse of USSR and actually to vote for the uh, final day of uh, Soviet Union. And um, that's what happened with the introduction of market economy with this space which first uh, served as a main territory for gathering people because at this moment, of course, the commercial activity and economical activity was the most important. It's not a public space. It's a shopping mall that is under the ground of the square. And this is another uh, public activity that recently happened in Moscow. This is maybe some of you had heard. Is uh, 
uh, protests that were happening since the 2010 till 2013, and they were occupying different parts of the space all over the Moscow. But I want to stress that it was not only oppositioners who were gathering in the city space, but it also was football fans, it was nationalists. So people somehow, after 20 years almost of uh, ignoring the public space, they started to use it and they started to activate it. And this is all the photos that I'm showing is different gathers within the city. And um, actually, this image I found particularly important that you can see two main forces, the cars that occupied the city and people who occupied the city. And it's particularly interesting that those people who are seen, they actually stayed in, staying on the garden ring, which is a circle itself. So they made a circle uh, in the city of center, and this is, it, it is a form of protest, but it's also a way to um, sense the city space and establish a certain activity within, uh, within the city space. Or this is a, a march on a boulevard. So somehow these activities uh, in the city that uh, really use the, the spatial parameters of it uh, give um, it's not only school or not only architects provoke the idea of public space, but exactly the activities of people in, in the space given a, a new rise and, and for development of public spaces in Moscow. And maybe this is uh, what certain, this image is, I think, better than something else explaining the result of this activity. Somehow, we're really trying to introduce the public space and uh, establish a, a in relationship, from another hand, it's the result that we have, at least for now, but this is what we're trying and dealing with. And uh, the whole idea of development of public space, of course, was widely supported with the state, and um, this is first of the, let's say, first pedestrian streets introduced in a city. If we, um, it might look like one of the typical uh, old streets, but uh, what is important is that none of the elements that are present here, not the uh, lamp pole, not the bench, is really historical. So this, um, let's say, stylization of historical style was a language that at this moment was the only language how you would imagine the uh, pedestrian or public space in Moscow. And um, the whole rise and the whole interest to the public sp space, of course, was, uh, was not remained intact for the power itself. So the, this is an image when the uh, president of Russia uh, actually uh, giving a park to the Moscow, the territory where he is staying together with uh, uh, Mayor Sergei uh, Sabanian is actually this big territory next to the Kremlin that were abandoned for a long time. And the gesture itself to convert this void in the middle of the center to the public uh, park, it seems not only being uh, an attempt to control the city, but actually somehow it's following this old practice and all this activity uh, of oppositioners in the city space. Uh, so we might say that these two um, opposite forces actually was following the, the same idea, how to use the space and how to produce the public space. And the first competitions that happened in the 
on this territory had this kind of results, you really can understand that architects, or although it was open competition and you never anticipate a good a deep result from such competition, you can easily see that people simply do not know how to design the public space. Like, what would you do there? You, you literally either build there something or you uh, produce some uh, outstanding manifest manifesto, but you don't know how design should be happening. And the later competitions and habit for the territory, this is the project by the winner dealer in Scafidio, um, world famous architectural office was organized by Strelka KB, an institution, it's a um, commercial office that was established by Strelka Institute, strategic consultancy in urban space. So it was when the competition developed professionally, then the result was quite, quite uh, satisfying. Um, so I will show just a few more cases how public space developing today in Moscow. This is a, a former embankment, well, embankment is still there, but it's a former um, road which were converted into pedestrian, uh, uh, pedestrian street or the square uh, that also was kind of uh, not defined and uh, uh, rather uh, used for cars and later on were uh, converted into public space with different facilities for pedestrians, like trees was introduced, <coughs> and very well-known swing, so it was a lot of critique, like is it allowed actually to put that element in the center of the city, which should be uh, manifesting some other values and being kind of representative of an empire, which uh, Russia trying to be. And um, the recent development that is happening today is very uh, big and very radical. It's actually an update of all streets of Moscow. And uh, um, Strelka is responsible for development of the strategy for this uh, update. So this is numbers you see uh, on the screen is the amount of streets that already were renovated. And to do so, it was the whole special codex developed, which we called standard. So how, to how the streets should be developed, how they should be renovated, were introduced in uh, uh, books that based on the research. And through this research, 4,000 streets of Moscow were analyzed. And uh, according to the distribution of the streets in the city space, there was certain typology and certain intervention proposed for, the, um, for, the, for, the, for, for each type. So based on this, the certain amount of concepts were executed and then realized in the city. And this is uh, several images just showing how the city uh, and the space changed. So this is the streets before the renovation, and this is how it looks now. Uh, we can see that uh, elements like a bicycle road, like the greenery, or for example, the, line, the width of the lines were diminished and less cars were allowed to be present in the city space. So all these things uh, were introduced. And in 2006, this actually was the most, um, from this perspective, uh, uh, noticeable time when the biggest street like Tverskaya was renovated and the scale of construction was that big that almost all city was covered with construction. Uh, so again, just an observation of amount of streets, how many of them were built and how the city updated. It is important to say, for example, that, uh, that, that the greenery is taking very big uh, role in this development because simply a lot of streets just, uh, a lot of uh, trees disappeared from the city space and nowadays they going back. So that big and quite old trees are planted there. And this is how streets look. And Arbat and Sadove Kaltovo garden ring 
So that's how, how they were updated. But I want to give uh, another kind of side of this process, so do not be too optimistic and do not uh, actually talk only about positive side of it. Although this idea of a new upgraded public space was uh, quite successful, introduced very well, the, let's say the um, general attitude to this new environment and actually to the void and the fear of the void remained is an important part of the mentality as of the state who actually commissioned uh, to, uh, to, to Strelka this uh, strategy as well as for the citizens. So idea that it need some second level of the beauty and some second level of um, entertainment uh, is still present and this is an image of one street that was renovated just uh, in a year ago and this is how it was covered with the new elements uh, which were introduced all over the space just to make this, let's say, empty street more beautiful and more entertainment, entertaining again. It's, it's actually all over. Um, another critique that we can really, uh, and we have to talk about, was uh, related to the scale of constructions that were happening in the city, that it actually was on that scale that make people life almost impossible, and actually, do we really need this uh, scale of reconstruction and update of the city space? But what I want to, the, the, actually, the conclusion that I want to make about this whole development and all these uh, controversial <coughs> questions that it raised is that somehow it provokes the conflict, but the conflict is a part of the public space. And the first time when the, it's, it's actually the photo you see on the, uh, on the screen is the uh, one district that uh, became extremely popular for the general public to get in for their, uh, uh, for, for their, uh, like to spend their time in the evening and it became that annoying for the locals that so they started to ask for the, for help of mayor to get rid of these people who actually uh, doing and producing this uh, unpleasant uh, environment. But in, in this arises the whole de question, do we need really to upgrade the public space that if the result is so, so annoying for the locals? But exactly the fact that uh, this conflict and this kind of discussion appeared in the public spaces, for me, is a, um, evidence of the more modern and more developed society. Thank you. Uh, well, now we have some time for a question from the audience. Is there any question? Thank you. Where does the money come from to, to change all of these streets? Uh, the Moscow has its own budget, so it's uh, the budget of the city. City fund. Yeah. Not city fund. There's a, um, <coughs> well, we can say that Moscow economy uh, is quite successful compared to other parts of Russia. And uh, the, if we're talking about uh, percentages, I don't, uh, I, I might be not really precise about the numbers, but it, as I know, it's like 6% of the year annual budget of the city, the, the money that's spent for uh, uh, update of the space. If you remember when Barcelona won the Olympics in the late 80s and for the 1992 Olympics, the city of Barcelona employed Oriol Bohigas to 
understand the city's public squares and rejuvenate them. And there are probably over 100 public spaces in Barcelona that have been renovated during the time. He was given a task at the time. Who's been given that task in Moscow? Is it an individual or is it a group of people? Uh, well, if we're talking about the strategies that was developed for the Moscow, it was developed by Strelka KB. It's a private commercial office uh, that is developing the strategies and the urban uh, design. And it was, uh, Strelka KB was established by Strelka Institute, which is a, itself a non-profitable organization. And the profit of Strelka KB is, goes to the support of Strelka Institute. So who pays Strelka to do that? Who pays? The city of Moscow. City, yeah, city pays to Moscow. So it comes through the mayor, effectively, the mayor's office. Uh, f from the mayor? Yeah. Yeah, the end, yes. If uh, most of the projects you showed there are kind of public-driven and uh, yeah, come from the mayor, are you aware of any private-driven uh, public space renovations, as in by commercial companies or people themselves, perhaps? Uh, the, the, for example, the Gorky Park renovation was done with the part of private money. And actually, it was a, the first case was that successful, I believe, because it uh, somehow shows to others how the successful public space could be if it has certain investment. And uh, it, it, it's actually maybe not a secret that um, a renovation of uh, Gorky Park started with the uh, idea that the Museum of Contemporary Art garage should be built there, and it was investment of uh, Abramovich. So he invested part of the money for the development of the park, and somehow we can say that it's maybe it still remains the, the only case where the private money was introduced into public space, although, of course, there are some territories that belong to the particular buildings that were in, with the, done with investment of private money. Um, Dasha, thank you so much for a wonderful talk, especially the historic run-through. I think it was really fascinating. And I was wondering what projects <coughs> is uh, Strelka Architecture Practice working on, and are there any regional projects in other cities, or maybe go through some Moscow projects, please? Well, uh, today the, the main focus of uh, Strelka Architects and Strelka KB is uh, development of uh, my street project, yet there is an ongoing um, uh, development of public spaces for uh, Russia territory because of the World Championships that are going to be in 2018. So the 40 cities where the championship going to happen also will have uh, the updated public spaces because of the holding event there. So in, in general, public space is a main, uh, a main, main subject of, the, of, the, of our project. Hi. I'm just curious um, to know if there's a study behind in global or countries or other countries of inspiration in terms of the remodelation of the spaces? Yeah, that's uh, the whole strategies that were developed were taken into account already existing special products that exist for the cities and uh, analysis were based on analysis of those practices. Yet Moscow had very specific uh, tissue of the city, which is rather different, and you cannot find exact reference uh, somewhere else in, uh, in general in the world. So it, for example, it's like the central part is quite dense, and you have almost 85% of territories and microions that have quite loose uh, distribution of buildings and very specific uh, morphology. And then uh, like the barb, so you, there is no 
like a twin of the city, and that's why you cannot simply uh, take the existing spatial codex and ad uh, adopt it in a in the space in the space of Moscow. So you have to. Uh, anal make analysis, and it's like I believe almost 50 of them were analyzed before uh, we come up with the proposal for the city, and also the city space also went through analysis, so I was quickly mentioning this typology that we did. It's about, so we um, extracted 10 standard types of streets because of the width, of the height, of the morphology, and so on, like a density of traffic. And uh, there were, besides the standard types, were a uh, unique uh, kind of list of unique streets introduced. And the whole special codex, codex based in the fact, so for example, you have an address and you need to make a, an update of the space. So you find the right type of your street, and then the list of intervention proposed for the particular type is uh, kind of uh, listed, and you can uh, address them and try to apply them. Within this development, um, <coughs> What plans are there for uh, pollution and limiting the amount of cars in Moscow city center? Yeah. Uh, and the buildings, are you building green buildings? Okay, so when I said about the uh, first topic that was introduced in 2007 at Strelk Institute, I said public space, but actually it was four others that were introduced in this year and it was an attempt to test topics that quite popular all over the world for architects, like especially green architecture. And one of the topics was energy. And it appeared the least popular topic because somehow being um, still um, quite successful with using the existing uh, oil, uh, the question of the energy is still not relevant for Russia. So I know that it sounds like very arrogant, but this is what this reality is and in the end, the, this before, like before, it started to be a problem. Nobody really cared about its future. So somehow, it's of course not really profound attitude, but that's how it is. Although, for example, if we're talking about the uh, limiting amount of cars in the center, the, it was clear in 2010 that city just simply cannot fit that amount of cars that are there now. And the new strategy of transport department trying to limit as amount of uh, and like simply the width of the road that fit a certain amount of car and also introduce uh, like, for example, it, for the first time the paid parking was introduced only in 2012. And before it was like you can occupy any part of the space. So of course, to own car become more and more expensive and somehow this is limit the amount of cars in general. Yet for the people who never like for the 70 years of Soviet Union to own the car, it was like almost impossible. So we, ha like we had this chance only for 20, and now it's the same almost uh, situation with you just started to own it, and now you've like it's taken away from you. So it's going really hard, and people, and in general, there are kind of a lot of uh, constraints to, to follow this strategy, but of, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, it's. Um, we cannot avoid it, it's unavoidable. Uh, introduction of green architecture and sustainable architecture, as I said, is not going that well because before you, like we have in a central heating system and it's still quite a little amount of money you have to pay for the energy. So before, it, uh, like until it like this, nothing really will change uh, radically. I noticed you had uh, quite a few pictures of protesters on your slides and I was wondering if the creation of public spaces 
do you see that linked with the kind of um, like improvement in the public sphere or like more dis- more discussion? And I was anticipating the question uh, about uh, the fact that since the public space was uh, like the whole strategy, the main strategy of development of public space were commissioned by the state, so somehow state is trying to control the public space. Yet I see it really rather different that the whole initiatives that started to happen in protest that started to be happening in the public space provoked state for development of public spaces. So I see it as a kind of another logic. And uh, I think that upgraded public space and the space with another quality and demand for another quality of life is actually provoking also big changes in a society, in a state, uh, let's say, policy. Hey, the question about the bicycle roads, basically, because like we all saw that picture over there, because like it's it, it works pretty fine in London, right? But like in Russia, half of the year, it's like kind of useless. Uh, so it's a relevant question. And the moment when the idea of bicycle roads all over the Moscow were introduced, everybody was so obsessed with the idea of really another uh, type of vehicle and another way of movement for the city that it seems like this question was not relevant. Yet we can say that half of the year is also a sufficient amount of time you might uh, use the bicycle and it might be introduced in the city. So if you have an infrastructure for this, you're actually able to use it and maybe quite comfortable. Of course, you cannot rely on this, how you can do it here. The climate change is helping a lot, and we also see the, uh, the, the, the winter time is diminishing, and the way actually also um, uh, a little bit replying to the question about the environment, the bad uh, kind of <coughs> reality about uh, climate that, that maintaining the roads through the winter time, the um, city office using a lot of chemicals to melt the snow. So somehow in the winter time, the, it's not the really the good side, but the snow is not present in a city. So we personally, like I'm personally against, of course, this uh, practice because it's really harmful for the planted trees. But uh, for the vehicles and for the road usage, it's it's quite relevant. Was anybody thinking about making it a little bit like more flexible? Because like the introduced bicycle roads, they are kind of fixed, right? So, you, like you don't use this huge yeah. amount of space. Yeah, that's like, that, the, the image when I was showing the first one, when it's a separate line, it's actually the first uh, type of street that were built like this. And later on, it was decision to combine the sidewalk with the uh, with a bicycle road, so it's not that separate and it's not really taken apart from the sidewalk. So somehow it's to use it as kind of combinated uh, uh, environment. Uh, and uh, But nothing better than the development of public transport could solve this question, and it is actually happening as well. How has Strelka and the introduction of Strelka had an impact on Marchi or the, the traditional education? Well, actually, I wanted to, from the beginning to say that the idea that, uh, of establishment of new school was quite important in general because it was absolutely impossible to make any reform or upgrade of existing school to make them flexible enough and able to produce new ideas. So uh, it was important to, let's say, again in Russia, to start from the zero to um, run a new um, practice. Uh, Marhi, uh, unfortunately, well, I was, I graduated Marhi, I was teaching there, uh, not 
that updated uh, until this moment, and there are no any relationship more between this institution. Unfortunately, uh, maybe it's, it will happen in ongoing time. There is another um, good school that recently was introduced in Moscow, which called Marsh, and uh, they also trying to. Uh, kind of create a new environment for architects. So they, I would say, more com com they compete more with Marquis and us because we're rather about the field of theory and uh, urban practices, while they more about like real spatial architecture. Are there any programs of preserving authentic Moscow? It's a good question. Um, there are no programs of preserving authentic uh, Moscow. And um, in general, the issue of authenticity is quite important for um, recently born society because as I was presenting it, it's uh, quite controversial not only regarding architecture but regarding our, our own history. This was like light dis uh, discussion with people who invited me and I was also in the exhibition that uh, happening today and was thinking about that the main issue that we have is a relationship with our past that's still not clarified especially with the Soviet past. What is authentic is a big question. I was just wondering what the impact is on the residents of Moscow. Um, Moscow is one of those cities where people live throughout it in all different areas, so it's in the centre as well. And I was wondering what impact, if any, this planning is having on people who are living there. I mean, is anybody being moved? Are areas being taken down, if you like? Uh, uh, or is this all happening around them? You talked about public space, but we're also yeah. seeing things like the destruction of the Khrushchevka buildings and so on as well. Yeah, this is ongoing. Is that part of the same program? No, well, uh, actually, this program that we, the, the idea of um, demolition of this Khrushchevka is a recent uh, topic, and uh, it's never, was, it's not an agenda today. I think, sort of, in that same line, um, there's something that you didn't actually mention but it was kind of there all the time, is that with all this regeneration, more is very certainly that you'll get some gentrification. And um, I, I, I don't know if that's what the question before me was kind of about, but I, my question is, do you see that all this redevelopment, well, in, in the first case, does it bring gentrification as we know it, like in London or some other places? And if it does, do you think there's something unique? Is like a Russian approach to it? Well, um, is update of the space is uh, triggering a gentrification process? Yes. I think it's like all over the world. If you're talking about, uh, for example, I also was anticipating a question about this um, demolishing of commercial uh, spaces in the central part and Instead, and producing actually public space instead of them, like how it this influence the economy? Because of course, the commercial activity within the structure was a, um, a source of the of, of um, pro provoking economy itself, or uh, how to say like uh, improving it. So we when you when you produce a public space, you actually also triggering this. Uh, activity a lot and uh, uh, but the idea for example is that you not build the structures in the public space you activate like the ground floors and it's uh, produce certain activity on the level of the of the public space so uh, in general the idea of gentrification is not that maybe um, 
well uh, introduced in Moscow space, uh, it really depends on, um, I would say, um, different economical activities that not that well established still. And uh, for example, there are industrial areas that were later on converted in some uh, um, creative clusters, we can call it, and the like quite uh, well, uh, this well-presented practice all over the world. In our case, usually the developer is taking the whole territory. It's not like young artists coming and giving a certain quality, but the whole area taken by developer and upgraded uh, by, by developer, but not for the, by the activities of the internal forces, I would say. So it's slightly different. It's rather, gentrification is rather provoked than appeared as a certain natural activity, I would say. Uh, do you see any other practices working alongside Strelka uh, for creating or creating the perception of public space? For example, what would you say about VSA Foundation and the urban acupuncture, for example, expanding space program? Or do you know any other activist practices, independent practices that are working with creating space, invoking some historiographical layers of the city? Mm, yeah, that's rough. I believe uh, a lot of different activities happening in the same time in the Moscow. Uh, yet maybe the Strelka these days is the most influential and the biggest uh, entity. It's like just uh, the scale of the institution today is quite uh, big. Uh, but it's not only in Moscow where the, this activity is happening, it's happening all over Russia these days, and introduction and introducing public space happening. But I just cannot name maybe uh, the, the list of these uh, active, activists or groups, but it's, it's rather a movement in one particular case, I would say. Uh, thank you for the wonderful and insightful lecture. Uh, <coughs> um, in terms of feedback, is there a process where the public gets back to you on the public spaces that they really love and enjoy and some examples where they didn't and how do they communicate that over to whoever designs it? Um, the, well, I think I, I, I've uh, somehow evidenced different stages of attitude of audience because when the whole process of redesign of the public space started, it rather was a very negative reaction. First of all, because the construction season is summer and it's quite short in Moscow and it's maybe the best time to be in Moscow. And when the whole city converted in construction sites, the reaction is rather negative. So um, it was like really avalanche of like protests in uh, Facebook of people that didn't want to have any updated space. Yet after the work was accomplished, and uh, especially when the trees were planted, uh, it's like really radically changed, and we received quite a positive uh, response. But uh, before it was quite um, uh, quite harsh time when they was really negative in the beginning. Um, well, it's important to say maybe that um, the, the first practice of this update of public space was uh, based on the 
uh, on the anthropological research, and we did a kind of deep investigation on the opinions and like how space should be converted. Today we introduce um, um, participatory urbanism as well, and we're trying to involve local communities into discussion more face-to-face um, -face rather than to do the research uh, kind of beforehand. So it's uh, different, but this is just a really um, the, the, the first stage of this uh, uh, kind of practice, I would say. Well, I have a very last question. And last week we were celebrating the International Women's Day here. Mm -hmm. We have a lecture of a, uh, the architect Itasco Tintilla. I don't know if you can tell us what is the situation for female architects in, in Russia, if it's, because this is like one of the big challenges in, in the rest of Europe, and I guess there is also like quite complicated, but on the other hand, you are like running this massive practice right now um, in a very successful way. I, I actually always reduce to uh, reply question uh, uh, which have a gender, the, the kind of uh, gender fact in professional field. So I'm not perceived myself as a woman architecture, I perceive myself as an architecture, architect. And uh, uh, I don't think that there is any difference between men and women in a professional field. That's an interesting point of view. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, Daria. Um, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.